This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24-7 nonstop destination for A's baseball. Go to athletics.com slash A's Cast to download the app. Restrictions apply. From baseball's top personalities. The great Chris Russo joins us once again. To the game's top players. Joining us is the all-star. Matt Chapman with us. You never know what stories you're going to hear. If you make your way down here, I, I might be able to make some time and go out there and see the great Chris Townsend. This is A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend. Welcome to another edition of A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend. In this edition, you're going to be hearing from the big right-hander, Lou Trevino, as I got a chance to catch up with him down in spring training. Paul Himbikides, Himbo from ESPN, one of the great researchers in all of sports, will be with us. Ned Coletti, who now is a scout for the Sharks, but was the general manager of the Los Angeles Dodgers, still does Dodgers television, and of course used to be the assistant GM under Brian Sabian for the San Francisco Giants. So always good to talk a little baseball with Ned. And then Jared Diamond has written a great article and a book, and he's done a lot of great things. We see him on MLB Network. Uh, He works for the Wall Street Journal. He will also join us today. But Lou Trevino, two years ago, fantastic. Last year, not the same. Looking for a rebound season. Here is my conversation with the big right-hander. Well, it's been a while since we talked to you. How was the offseason? It was good. Can't complain. Just kind of, you know, did my own thing in in, uh, in Pennsylvania and, and uh, worked out, worked, and had a good offseason. What was the number one thing you focused on in the offseason that you wanted to work on? Oh, there's a few things, but for the most part, it's just, you know, trying to stay healthy um, and get, getting prepared for the season when it comes to my, my body. But uh, And then just kind of working on getting back to being able to repeat my delivery and staying behind the ball. But, you know, that's, that's about it. I remember you talked a lot about that last year when we got the opportunity to speak with you, where you talked about, you know, being able to repeat it over and over again. That was something I know you were really focused on last year. Yeah, I mean that's I think that's 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 pitching. You know, the one of some of the best pitchers in baseball. That's all they can do is repeat. That makes everything easier. You know, you you screw up or you miss a certain location, but you can be able, you can repeat your delivery. You can make an adjustment off of that. You know, if you're not repeating your delivery, good luck. No doubt about it. And, and when I think about this team, and I really noticed this at FanFest, the confidence you guys have. Two straight years, one in 97 games, being in the wild card game. Talk about the confidence that's with this locker room right now because in this clubhouse, basically the core is set. Yeah, I mean, I, we're for sure very confident. I think we've last two years had some really good years. Obviously, it's pretty disappointing to come up short in the wild card game two years in a row, but. Like you said, I mean, we have a we have our core group of players here. We have Gold Glovers. I mean, some of the, one of the best lineups in, in all the game. I think our rotation and bullpen is phenomenal. It's just, you know, I feel like we're getting better and better every year, and it's getting more and more exciting to come to the ballpark, play, and and, and see what happens. And how about this rotation? It was like the last couple of years, Billy Bean and David Forrest are trying to figure out who the starters are going to be. And now, legitly, going into the season with Chris Bassett, there's like six starters that you can rely on. Yeah, not only not just six starters, but six very, very quality starters. You know, we have, what, two no-hitters, you know, thrown. You got Puck and Lazarda who are aces in, in in their own right they're they're very good very very good young talented arms it's just it's it's fun to it's fun to watch these guys compete it's fun to watch them pitch you know it's just it's it's exciting and i think about mike fires and i think we really saw this at FanFest how he has just become a, a fan favorite and a cult hero for how he changed baseball and we know the a's are one of the teams that complained about the houston astros just how much are you guys back in your guy mike fires oh 100 i was i was happy to see that that, that he, he did that it was uh it was something that needed to be done and i know that and he's got a lot of a lot of uh, crap for coming out and saying it but 
uh, I think that was the most important thing. He 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 did this off season for for the sport of baseball. I mean, it's it's I don't think it'd be I don't, I don't think it'd be overestimated. Uh, that is very brave for for what he did. All you know, it's it's not he did not have the I'm assuming the best off season in the world. Yeah, a lot of stuff going on. So it was just it was a brave thing. Yeah, I think Bob Melvin said it great. It's like at some point you got to stop this and it stops. So that's good for you pitchers because, I mean, the, the you imagine being on the mound and they know exactly what you're throwing. That's got to be just mind blowing. I mean, I would much rather face a guy who is juicing, taking steroids, taking whatever he's taking than than having a guy know he's coming or having the guy know what's coming. It's just it changes the game. There's now you're not setting up hitters anymore. The only thing that you have is hopefully, you know you. You know your stuff is just better than you know the swing that he has, but it's just I think it's quite frankly it's pretty ridiculous. And on a lighter note, my producer here went to a college in Pennsylvania that's called the University. It's like University of California, like but in Pennsylvania. Yeah, but in Pennsylvania, I mean, do you, do you truly look down? And that was your rival. Do you look down on that school? <laughs> I went. Uh, I don't look down on that school. <laughs> But uh, but no, it's 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 cool to have someone from from uh, uh, the PSAC. You know, you, you don't have too many us, us guys around here, so it's cool to it's cool cool to see. Well, you're one of our favorites. We always appreciate the time. Have a great have a great spring. Be healthy, and we'll see you in Oakland. All right, thank you very much. Good seeing you. Lou is such a good guy. Really pulling for him, and if he can have a bounce back year, what that will mean for the A's bullpen, it will be huge. Each week, we're going to try and have on Himbo, Paul Himbakides. He is the top researcher for ESPN. Everybody loves him. You hear him also on Baseball Tonight, Buster Olney's podcast. This guy is second to none. Here is Himbo. Himbo, I've been waiting all day to talk to you. How have you been? Uh, <laughs> uh, you, you, don't have to lie, you don't have to lie to me this way. You can say it's my face, but I, I for sure have been looking forward to talking baseball with you all day because, as you can imagine, the only thing that is occupy my brain all day is where in the world is Tom Brady going to play next season? Yeah, that's uh, when, when I heard San Francisco, I went, wow. I mean, the, I mean, there's so many room. It's the Raiders. It's the Niners. It's the Titans. Oh, he and Belichick didn't have a good meeting. It's like, can you guys just let us have baseball season? <laughs> uh, yeah, but we're talking about the, the greatest football player that ever lived. And we're talking about him changing teams inexplicably as a 43-year-old. I mean, it's, it's an impossible story, and it's one that, unfortunately, is, for, at least for my sake, um, isn't going away. So I'm going to blow through every single Tom Brady trivia question I have for the sake of get up probably by the middle of July. So I'll, at that point, I'll probably be dry for the rest of the season. Well, I told our audience earlier, you come here to talk baseball because uh, all you guys do is talk LeBron or NFL. This is your, this is your getaway from that world. I view this program um, as sort of therapy. Like, I feel like I should be paying you for this. Like, I, 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 should, be, I should be outstretched on one of those, like, sort of diagonal couches, right? I should, you, should, you should have, like, a, maybe like a hot or a wet cloth over my forehead. And we should be, we should be you, know, you know, I should be telling you how I feel about things and all the rest of it because that's sort of the feeling that I have when I'm done with you. I feel sort of cleansed. I feel like I just took a bath. Yeah, Dr. Dr. Townsend will take care of you. So I got this, I got this note saying that, you have a new A's discovery, and that's all I've been thinking about all day. <laughs> well, um, in addition to you needing to find more to do, I, this, this, is what I've been, this is what I've been trying to do. Since I've, since I'm going to be coming on your program more frequently, or at least so I hope, I want to try to find just one, like one thing about your club that I didn't know the week before. That's sort of the way that my brain works. The curiosity element is you know, part of what makes a, a sports researcher good. And one thing that I discovered today in doing my research for your show is that the A's had, at least by one standard of measure, a top five hitter in all of baseball last season. That's not something that I knew. Further, it wasn't Marcus Semien. It wasn't Matt Chapman. It was Matt Olson by ESPN's win probability model, which you know, you know, sort of blends every single thing you can using the leverage of inside games as its, as its foundation. Matt Olson ranked fifth among all position players last season and win probability added at number 5.4. That's how valuable he was. And he only, he only played, I think, about 75 80% of the season given his early season injury. Guys, in low leverage, his league-adjusted batting line ranked 98th in the league. In medium leverage, it ranked 11th. And in high leverage, it ranked 4th. So you watched him play all, all of last season. 
those numbers clearly tell me he's clutch. Do my numbers match what you guys saw from last season? And let's spin it forward. I guess what does that mean in 2020? Okay, so I'm so glad this is it because just to let the audience know, I did not know what this was going to be. But I can tell you, Himbo, that the way this, the way that I've been treating our young, great players, and I even interviewed Matt Olson a couple days ago, and I told him this. If I had to make a bet on which A will be the next MVP, I'm not taking Chapman. I'm not taking Simeon. I'm taking Matt Olson. And then I told Bob Melvin, the skipper of the A's, and he agreed. I think this is the year that everybody in baseball is going to realize that this first baseman, this monster, is a gold glover with the ability to hit 50 home runs and 100 and whatever RBIs. This is the breakout year where everybody in baseball is going to know this kid's a star. I, I Look, it's really hard to disagree with that. The tools are obviously there. He is, he is so incredibly soft at first base. I mean, it's, it's, it is artistic in some sense. To, to watch him to watch him play that position, there are very few guys that you can say that about. We know that he has the the, the big raw power, the good bat to ball skills, and what really struck me was that as as a kid still, he thrives in these high leverage in these in these in these clutch, these pressure moments. And I understand that you know in baseball, generally speaking, the best hitters are also the best clutch hitters. But there clearly, at least in his game last year, was something inherent that enabled him to thrive in those in those circumstances. And I think we. I think we overuse wins above replacement. I think we use war too often. It's become sort of like the, you know, the cliche, the, the hot new thing to use, and you assign someone this value. I think baseball is a little bit more complicated that, than, than that, I should say. Win probability added blends in the leverage of the game, which is the most important thing. That's why you'll see a couple of years ago, Blake Trinan led all of baseball in win probability added, even though he only threw whatever it was, 60 or 70 innings. Those circumstances, those high leverage moments are what determine outcomes of games and thus seasons. And I'll tell you what, when you blend those tools with his ability to hit in big moments, I think you're looking at a guy who could very well be on the MVP ballot. And who knows, maybe he'll be sort of high on it. I think, unfortunately for him, his celebrity just really isn't there. But look, I mean, Marcus Simeon finished as the top three guy a year ago. So I think that the, 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 the voters are smart enough now to recognize greatness. And I think Matt Olson is on the precipice of it. Yeah, and it's going to be fun to watch. Yeah, if he was playing for the Yankees right now, they'd be like, he's the next Lou Gehrig. So uh, hopefully <laughs> at some point he's going to start getting some love. Now, you want to talk about the Yankees, and they have their own version of Moneyball. Unfortunately, right now they can't keep anybody healthy. But 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 what are the Yankees doing now that's so interesting? So Buster wanted me to look into this for the podcast tomorrow because of all the injuries there that are recurring now during spring training. So I wanted to contextualize just how much injuries impacted that roster last year and how much of their roster, like how much that, that payroll flexibility that they have enabled them to still make the playoffs. So last season, the Yankees spent $93 million, $93 million on players while they were on, on the injured list. That was more than the Rays, the Marlins, the Pirates, the Orioles, the White Sox, and your A's spent in payroll the entire season. The entire season, the Yankees spent more money on injured guys not producing last year than those six teams spent on their payrolls in general. There is, there is no sport like baseball in terms of payroll disparity, and no number could better illustrate that than that number. And, look, when you have the opportunity to be able to bring in you know, whoever you want, obviously it provides you the chance to deepen your roster in ways that no other team really can. However – Eight of their top nine position players last year, as measured by wins above replacement, made less than $1 million. Obviously, Tauschman was an example, Urshela was an example, Voigt was an example, Maven was an example. So while they have all this kind of money to spend, their biggest contributors last year, at least among the position players, largely, were guys that weren't making that much money. And in total, 42% of the Yankees' uh, production last season by war came from players that they traded for. That was the fifth highest mark in Major League Baseball. Now, your club is one that has benefited a good deal from gaining production from players in those same circumstances. But the Yankees are a big market club that sort of operate in such a way that, you know, I think almost sometimes having all that money, I'm a Phillies fan, having all that money to spend, your fans want you to do it. Sometimes can be a disadvantage if you don't act shrewdly with your money. The Yankees obviously had the opportunity last year to win 103 games in large part because they had so much depth. 
and being able to spend $93 million on the injured list and still make the playoffs is a pretty remarkable number. Did you see the home run Bryce Harper hit yesterday? No, uh, <laughs> he hit that one to the moon. I, I think there's a really good chance Bryce Harper this season uh, performs a lot better than last because the pressure's just not there. The last last year this time he was the overwhelming story in baseball. Right now he, he's hardly being talked about at all. I think year two in that ballpark and in that scene will will do him a lot of good. It, it wouldn't surprise me at all if he took a big jump forward. And I I I've said this before and there's really no way to back this up statistically, but. The, the the manager last year, Gabe Kapler, and Bryce Harper were just too similar. When you have people that are that intense on a daily basis, I know there was never any real rumblings or rumors of them not getting along, but I think Joe Girardi's temperament is a much better fit. When, like when, when your best player and your manager are that intense, I think it causes too much friction. And the, the Phillies last year waned throughout the course of the season, and I'm of the opinion that's a big reason why. Yeah, and, and Girardi, from his time playing in New York and winning World Series – and then managing in New York and winning a World Series, he understands how to handle stars. He knows how to handle stars, and he, and perhaps even more importantly, he knows how to handle fans. I, I will go to the, my grave believing that Philadelphia is one of the best baseball towns in the country. I've seen that place erupt, especially when the Phillies are good. They, they, they put together years and years and years of consecutive uh, sellouts, and, and Joe Girardi – it was one of the first things that he mentioned. One of the first things that he mentioned in his, in his news conference when he was introduced was 2009 was really rough here, guys, because the Phillies you know, gave the Yankees hell, for lack of a better term, during the World Series. He, he gets it. He gets, he gets the expectations from the fan base. He gets the way to massage the media. And I think that is a much better formula for this club than Gabe Kapler's rigidity and his uh, sort of robotic tendencies. I think this is a much better fit. You know, the signing of Christian Yelich, just another example of players not wanting to go to free agency. You offer him you offer him X amount of millions. He's happy in town. He wants to play there. He wants to be there. Could he got more in free agency? Yeah, but he's good. I mean, I'm going to get $215 million. I'm good. So we're seeing that. We've been seeing that for really the last two years. And I think it's good for baseball. It means players are staying in places, uh, as you mentioned, Bryce Harper, first year, a lot of expectations. It's not easy being the free agent and the hired gun. What did you think about the Yelich signing? So I heard people sort of crushing him uh, for taking only $215 million. And I think that is in part because, you know, players and folks around the game want the Players Association to become more powerful again and use free agency as a club, not as a crutch. Um, however, I, in my life, operate under the uh, preconception that if someone gives me a piece of paper – that's a $215 million on it that provides me the chance to uh, make sure that none of my descendants ever have to work a day in their lives. Uh, I operate under the rule that I sign that piece of paper. Uh, I've never give, been given that chance for, you know, in case, in case you, in case you are interested, but th- there is, there is no such thing as a, a team friendly deal. That's that, that's that much money, even though I do think it will probably end up, he'll probably, I mean, he'll probably pay for that deal, in, you know, in four or five years. If that, especially if he keeps hitting the way that he is now, the Brewers are a club that sort of has to operate in the margins, and thus they saw an opportunity to lock up a player to what they viewed as a team-friendly deal. And I think this is probably one that could work out for both sides. But what I want to just point out further is, in doing some research uh, on his sort of recent production, last year and a half or so, I was blown away. Like His offensive profile is second to literally nobody in Major League Baseball. Uh, I, I use the 2018 All-Star break as sort of my cutoff. And while that might sound arbitrary, with the numbers show – is that's really the time in which he truly embraced sort of the launch angle phenomenon, the time where he truly begun spinning the baseball and taking advantage of the hitter-friendly ballpark in Milwaukee, which, of course, he did not have the opportunity to play in previously in Miami, which I think suppressed his numbers to a great deal, guys. And since that time, his league-adjusted betting line is better than Mike Trout. It's better than anyone. He's produced more WPA. He's produced more wins above replacement. The only statistic in which Mike Trout is uh, favored over Yelich during that time is uh, a slight taken on base percentage. That isn't to say that Christian Yelich is a better player than Mike Trout. No sane person thinks that. But I operate in the numbers world. And if you look at the numbers, he is at minimum the best player in the National League right now. And he signed a contract for about half what Mike Trout signed a contract for. So, yes, to answer your original question, sure, it's team-friendly from from that sense, even though it's a nine-figure deal and 
and, and a monster contract in relation to what almost anyone in sports ever gets the chance to sign. But Christian Yelich is legitimately, legitimately a player on a Hall of Fame trajectory right now, and his statistics the last year and a half are, are unfathomable. And I think there are still some around the game that haven't quite grasped that. We remember him winning the MVP, but we still don't think of him as being Mike Trout or anywhere close to it. I think we should. Yeah, and and I'm with you. If someone is just going to say, here's $200 million, sign here, do I really <laughs> want to sit back and go, well, in two years I can be a free agent? I mean, it's right there. Someone's offering you a sheet of paper, you sign this, you get $215 million. I, I, yeah. I, I can't imagine turning that down. I can't either. Like we, I think the reason that he is being sort of chastised, at least by some, is because we're comparing him to Mookie Betts. However, like there's a real chance that Christian Yelich just loves playing in Milwaukee, and there is a lot of value in blooming where you're planted, so to speak. He already was traded from one organization to another. He's comfortable there. He absolutely mashes in that ballpark. There's a lot of things. There's a lot of things to like. And if, we, if there's anything we know about Christian Yelich, because you've seen a million interviews of his, is that. He's not the most outspoken guy in the world. And I think the notion of him, you know, pursuing for, you know, doing a Tom Brady like free agency tour is pretty unlikely. Right. So uh, I'm with you. It's an extraordinary amount of money for him. It's, uh, I don't really ever care to talk about other people's money. It's all monopoly money as far as I'm concerned, but I think we're talking about the second best player in baseball right now. And so long as we can identify that, I think we're in good shape. And then I see you want to talk about what 200 million can buy. Well, we just talked about Christian Yelich's $200 million. I, I am fascinated by the White Sox building plan. The way that Rick Hahn and company have operated this winter is, in my judgment at least, the exact way that you need to in order to build a winner when you can't spend $200 million in payroll. So you look at the, the extension save for Yohan Moncada, five years and $70 million. Earlier in the offseason, they gave $16 million over five years to Aaron Bummer, the reliever. Six years and $50 million to, this, you know, to, to Luis Robert. And then six and 43 last year to Eloy Jimenez. Two years ago, they gave a $25 million extension to Tim Anderson. These are all guys who, at the time of their extension, had not even accrued two years of service time. In some cases, those guys had accrued none, right? So that is a total of $204 million. $204 million that are covering 28 prime years. 28 prime years of production. To me, that is the blueprint. That is the blueprint. The Padres just spent $300 million for 10 years of post-prime Manny Machado. And last year, the White Sox swung and missed at that. They should be grateful that they swung and missed at that because instead they are pouring their resources into homegrown talent like this. They're locking up the best years of players' careers at affordable rates. And when you consider Andrew Vaughn and you consider Nick Madrigal and Michael Kopech coming up through the system, they're going to have like an Astros-like cornerstone i think foundation here in a year or two sometimes like it might even happen sooner than we think i'm not sure there are a team that can make the playoffs this year but it would not stun me i am all in on their building plan yeah and we talked about it earlier on the show before you came on it it really goes back to the early 90s john hart and the cleveland indians right before jacobs field opened up where they got a bunch of young players they made the trades they gave the young players money then they move in the ballpark. They're sold out every night. Then they brought in star players to be with these younger players. It's just, it's smart to spend some money early and it protects you in the long run. It certainly does. I think there is probably some intellectual dishonesty that occurs in those negotiations. My, my best guess is that it's very challenging as a 21, 22, or 23 year old without much big league success to turn down like that kind of money. That is, that's a really hard thing to say no to for the, either for the greater good or for the possibility of getting more money later, because when you're making that much money by and large, you're, you're buying the same stuff. Right. So I, I remember a few years back when the Astros did this with Jonathan Singleton and people freaked out because it was such an extraordinary team friendly deal. As it turns out, all he wanted to do was buy marijuana, but the, he's an example of someone that didn't hit in some cases, in plenty of cases, it becomes a really team friendly option. The Braves are even doing it now. They did it with Acuna. They did it with, uh, all the Albies and, and others. But in my judgment right now, this is the way to go. It does surprise me a little bit that more players aren't willing to wait because of the, just the, the, the absurd amount of money sort of at the, at the end of the rainbow. But given the six years of service time and the, the current structure of the collective bargaining, bargaining agreement and 
when you consider that performance-enhancing drugs aren't helping players now, presumably, nearly as much as, as they used to, baseball has become a young man's game. So, like, you want to make sure that you are playing in a place that you want and making millions of dollars, not hundreds of thousands, like thousands of dollars. Aaron Judge last year made less than a million dollars. You know, I think there are a lot of players who view sort of the short term as their priority because nothing is guaranteed. And frankly, it's really hard to blame them. Yeah. And I got to tell you, I think a really fascinating dilemma is going to play out with the team the A's played today down here in Arizona in spring training is the Dodgers. As they make the trade, they bring in Mookie Betts. He's not a rental. They're going to want to sign him. Uh, he wants big money. He wants well over $300 million. And then you got a guy playing next to him who's the reigning MVP in Cody Bellinger. And you know Bellinger is going to look at the deal that Mookie Betts got you could be spending a extreme amount of money, over six hundred million, on just two players. <laughs> that is, that's, uh, play baseball, kids. I guess that's what I would say. But my best guess would be that Mookie Betts hits free agency. I, I've heard maybe, maybe I'm just sort of out of the loop. I've heard so many people say exactly what you just did. But if Mookie Betts was willing to turn down these nine-figure extensions in Boston, where he was legitimately beloved, it seems hard for me to believe that over the next, you know, whatever it is, seven, eight months, that he's going to find himself in a place where he's willing to do that with them. Like, we don't know what his market value is, but if Bryce Harper got $330 million and Machado got 300 I don't see why he, Mookie Betts couldn't get at least that. I mean, Garrett Cole got $324 million, and he's one pitch away from his career ending. You know, our, all pitches are, are, are that way, obviously. So, my guess is that – I mean, there's a good chance, I suppose, that Mookie Betts is, is a Dodger long-term, but I don't think he's going to sign an extension before free agency. I would be stunned if that happened, given what, given what I've heard about him and his sort of commitment to the process and his commitment to championing for other players. Like, he's one who genuinely feels that he owes his, his comrades, for lack of a better term, something in getting every cent he can out of the system. And, look, that's his prerogative. He bet on himself, and he's going to make – so much money because of it. And, and, and I love when people say, and I've, I've fallen victim to it also, where you go, hey, there's only going to be a, a small market for him for a contract like that. But let's not forget, when Manny Machado signed with the Padres, the two biggest deals ever given out were by San Diego and Miami and Giancarlo Stanton. So we always think that it's all some these smaller market teams. Hey, they can step up at any point. You never know. You're exactly right about that. Baseball is an $11 billion enterprise now. And these, and these owners are more greedy now than ever before. So teams, teams are awash in money. There are a handful of teams that legitimately can't afford uh, Mookie Betts. But I would go as far as to say that at least half, if not two-thirds of Major League Baseball teams could afford – a contract like that if they just chose to. If they're willing to sort of tear up the, their financial structure, usually that comes from ownership. So I'm with you. If All it takes is one sort of overzealous owner with deep pocketbooks to, to give someone the thumbs up, and $400 million later, he might totally rip up the market. Himbo, you are the best, my friend. Thank you so much for the time, and uh, hopefully we will talk to you next week for your next yeah. therapy session. <laughs> yes, sir. I appreciate it very much. I'll, uh, I'll put the check in the mail. I love having Himbo on. He's absolutely great. I hope you enjoy him as much as the commander and I do. Ned Coletti, I've known Ned for a long, long time. Used to interview him all the time when he was the assistant general manager for the San Francisco Giants. And we've kept in touch with Ned over the years. Of course, he was the GM of the Los Angeles Dodgers. Now does uh, television for the Dodgers pre and post and also is a scout for the San Jose Sharks. Here is Ned Coletti. Ned, welcome back to A's Cast with Chris Townsend. How are you? Hey, doing good, Chris. So it's this time of the year. You know, I, I know you're doing the stuff with the Sharks, but uh, it's this time of year, spring training, such a special time in baseball. Yeah, yeah, it is. It really is. It's, uh, you know, it's a long spring training. There's 35, 40 games, but uh, you wait all winter to get back, and uh, no matter what type of year you had, you're always looking forward to it. You know, I think about Christian Yelich, who it looks like uh, they're going to add a couple. They're going to add about seven years to his existing deal, so it'll be about nine years for two hundred and fifteen million. 
And it's just, it's one of those deals where he likes Milwaukee. He wants to stay in Milwaukee. They're a small market team that's going to keep their superstar. Just how good is this deal for the game of baseball? Well, I think it's always good when a player, especially a, a great player like, uh, like Yelich is, uh, can stay with one team. I think it's um, it's a little bit rare. You don't have many Tony Gwynns or Cal Ripken Juniors out there anymore that that have a chance to do that. Uh, but I do think it's good for the game. I, you know, if you look back, and you know, people never like to look back that deep. But if you look back a long time, you know, players before before free agency, which obviously changed the game and uh, was something that was probably long overdue. Uh, players always stay with the same team, but uh, today it's a uh, it's a different dynamic. So I do think any time you have a chance to, to hang on to somebody for the duration of their career, draft them, sign them, develop them, and then let them become uh, major league players, and then in his case, uh, obviously one of the best in the game, I think it's good for Milwaukee. Well, I think about the Mike Trout deal and $435 million, and now Mookie Betts traded over to the Dodgers, uh, and obviously the Dodgers don't want to consider him a rental if Mookie Betts has a great year, what do you think his value will be on the open market? Well, that's a that's a great question. Um, I, I don't I don't really know what it would be. I mean, you, you, people talk about him being one of the top four or five players in the game. Some people go uh, as far as to say he's uh, second to Trout. Uh, obviously, that's all conjecture. That's all opinion. I think a lot of it will depend on on market and and who's interested. Uh, you do have some teams that uh, that usually go over the the luxury tax year after year. Boston, of course, did for a long time, drop back down. Um, that changes the dynamic quite a bit. Had had Boston signed Mookie Betts, uh, which is kind of what probably led to this deal. That deal would have probably cost them between seventy-five and eighty million dollars a year when you add the luxury tax to it. So. Uh, probably depends on teams that have been below the tax a little bit. Dodgers have been below it for a few years now, uh, maybe going over it this year for the first time in a while. So I do think that that is also part of the uh, the dynamic that will lead to this. Uh, I don't think uh, many teams uh, can really go after a, a player of that caliber at that at that pay level. So I do think that the market is limited, but it's big market teams and it's teams that that uh, have a chance to compete and have a chance to win year in, year out. Yeah, L.A. is all about stars, and that's whether it's the Lakers or the Dodgers, it's what it's all about. And then I think how much will, if let's say they do get a deal done with Mookie Betts, how do you think that affects the negotiations with your reigning MVP, Cody Bellinger? Well, <laughs> that's a good question. It's, uh, you know, he's obviously uh, a very, very talented player. I've known Cody since he was 17, 18 years old, and uh, been great to see him continue to get better and better and to strive for greatness. And uh, uh, really got, got there last year in so many ways. Five-tool player, really a six-tool because of how he thinks the game. I think that every year it's interesting to see what the top talents uh, do receive when they do become free agents. Cody represented by by Scott Boris, who uh, had himself a tremendous year this past season signing uh, Rendon and, and Garrett Cole and Keuchel and on and on. I mean, he had a tremendous year as far as uh, representation goes. So uh, anytime you're, you're dealing with Scott, you know you're going to be uh, expected to, to reach a, a level that in some cases has never been reached before or uh, to have something to it that is, uh, is special. You know, Strasburg was another one this past year that he had that uh, opted out of his deal and then and then signed for a much longer term and and much higher dollars uh, going back to the team he was at. So it'll be interesting to see. And, um, you know, there's all different negotiations are so, so interesting all the time. I think that there's a, um, there's a, a chance and I, I will, I'll take the Dodgers out of it though. But whenever you do sign one, one star player, one great star player, that does take a little bit in some cases, a little bit of pressure off a team as well, because they have, they do have a talented, talented player, and I and I think that the, the the worst situation is when you're a big market club and you you don't lose one, but you lose two or you lose three all at one time. That's that's tough to do, but as you do sign players, uh, I think that it helps fortify your team. And I think that you you love to keep your group together, like the 
uh, Brewers just did with Yelich, but I do think you also have to be prudent and wise with how you spend it and for how long you spend it. Most of the time in my career, it wasn't necessarily the amount of money per year that uh, that uh, stopped me. It was really the term. It always seems to be a year or two longer than a team is comfortable with. So uh, that's another factor. There's, all, there's so many different factors to it. It's not just it's not as uh, as cut and dry as it may seem. Yeah, star players can be so important for organizations and what your organization stands for. And, of course, when you were in San Francisco with Brian Sabian, you had the star of stars and Barry Bonds. Just talk about what that star player means to the fan base and means to the organization. Well, Barry was uh, was obviously a tremendous player in San Francisco. Uh, probably people always ask me, I've been at it almost 40 years, you know, who was – the best I've seen, and position player-wise, a player I was around a lot, uh, nobody was as talented as Barry. Uh, Barry, to talk about the five tools of Cody Bellinger I mentioned and the sixth tool of intellect, you know, Barry had it all, too, uh, at even uh, a higher level. And uh, somebody that, uh, I think I did two deals with uh, Barry and his representatives while, while I was there, I think a two-year deal, and then uh, had... <laughs> had the pleasure to do the deal after he hit 73 home runs. He was a free agent after that season. So timing worked out pretty good for, for me at that point in time. But uh, as you look back at the history of that franchise in San Francisco, the, the uh, almost defection to Tampa and, and all that, and then the signing of Peter McGowan, Peter McGowan and Larry Bear and ownership did with, with Barry. Uh, that was a year before I came to San Francisco, but you could see that it started to turn and I think signing him was a a major a major factor in uh, in the new ballpark. It was a ma- it's not even a new ballpark anymore, but in that ballpark being built in the year 2000, I think his his presence, his ability, and the commitment that ownership had shown by signing somebody who had kind of grown up near the organization with his dad, uh, the great Bobby Bonds, and then uh, had a chance to bring him from Pittsburgh. I think that made a major impact on the city, on the fan base, and on the commitment that ownership made and that the fans made in return. I think it's a great example of, of how, it can, how it can turn that way. And then that he stayed uh, the rest of his career there, also indicative of, of keeping your, your star player, even though he wasn't drafted by San Francisco uh, out of college. Uh, he was still somebody that had, had kind of grown up there and kind of had a little bit of a favorite son approach to it. So uh, it's a good point you make. He was uh, very instrumental, I think, in a lot of the success of the organization, not just the home runs, the batting average, and the stolen bases, and the great defensive play in left field, but also in, I think, keeping the franchise there and making it one of the one of the crown jewels of baseball. Ned, I don't think a lot of people really understand what a brilliant mind Barry Bonds has with baseball. He's brilliant. He... Um, to me, he was as close to genius as a hitter as I've seen. Um, I, I talk about it all the time when asked, uh, you know, who was the best, as I said. And, and he, he saw a game differently. I think the greatest athletes among us see the game in slow motion. And uh, we watch a game, it's almost like watching a movie. They see it frame by frame. And I, I would see him do things I, I've never seen a player do uh, before or or after uh, people I watched on a daily basis, where you can really see the intellect at work, genius, genius at what he did, understood the game, understood the strike zone. Would rarely, rarely good at get after a pitch out of the strike zone. Would rarely argue a call. So he he always he was always in a good spot, and just a tremendous, tremendous gifted athlete, but also really, really smart. And somebody who understood hitting and understood the game and the nuances of the game, uh, the best I've seen, the best player I've seen on a daily basis in, in 40 years. Hey, Ned, before we let you go, how, how's the new gig with the Sharks going? It's been great. Um, it's been a, a great experience. Uh, I love the organization and the people I work with. Uh, obviously, we've uh, had a bit of a, a tough year with injuries and a little bit of a slow start. Uh, but been picking it up lately. It beat some really good teams the last four weeks. I think uh, brighter days are ahead. But it's, it's been a great a great opportunity for me. I've spent probably, well, as many years as I've watched baseball, I've watched hockey with as much interest and in, in digging deep into it. In the last 20, 25 years, I've spent a lot of time with coaches and, and GMs and, and scouts kind of digging deeper to to really find it out. And I think 
Chris, when you think about an athlete, you think about hands, how the hands work, how the feet work, how the mind works. I think that transcends any sport. And so I, I think the adjustment for me has been uh, uh, refreshing in a lot of ways, but also uh, something that I, I feel confident in, in doing because I've, I've been watching ath- athletes for so many years with a not just a glance, but certainly with a with a deep uh, understanding of it and, and an understanding that I always wanted to get better at it and to try and figure out how it all worked and, and how players think the psychology of it all. So it's been a tremendous experience. Uh, I like the way we played the last few games, especially the last couple here. Big game against T.O. last night and Pittsburgh over the weekend before that. So things are getting better. Uh, bright days are ahead, and it's a, it's a great organization. I'm honored that they gave me an opportunity. Yeah, Doug Wilson down. There's a lot of good people with the San Jose Sharks. It's really it's really a lot of fine people. You know, most people don't get inside the organization, but having been around the Sharks for a long time, they got a lot of quality people in that front office and working for the team. You know, I've had other opportunities uh, in, in, in the NHL, um, but it meant a lot to me to be able to work for people who I, I really know and respect and uh, admire and that we have a uh, have always had a, a real solid, uh, not just a friendship, but relationship where we could challenge thought process. I think that's how you get, get good. I think that was probably a strength that Brian and I had in San Francisco for about 11 years where we would challenge the thought process to to see how we can make everybody as good as they can be. I think it's incumbent upon leadership uh, to do that. And uh, when I started talking to to Doug Sr. and Doug Jr. and Joe Will, um, you know, I, I'd known them for a long, long time. I've known Doug Jr. probably 15 years and Doug Sr. probably 25 years and and, and Joe probably close to that from my San Francisco days because Joe was in San San, Diego, uh, San Jose uh, well before as, as long as well as uh, Doug Senior. So uh, knowing them and knowing how they approach the game and and how uh, respectful they are and how honorable and just good people they are, plus great hockey people. Uh, when they came and we talked about it a little more than a year ago, now I thought you know what this is a not only a great opportunity in a sport that I love, but with people that I have so much respect and admiration for, and I, and I know who they are. And they're genuine and they're real. And to me, at this stage of my career, in my life, um, that's what I seek. Ned, you're the best. We always appreciate the time. Good luck the rest of the NHL season, and we'll talk to you, la- talk to you later on All down right. the line. All right, Chris. Thanks for the time today. All the best. We always appreciate having Ned on and his insight. It's uh, second to none as someone who has been around baseball a long, long time. Jared Diamond, Wall Street Journal, had a very interesting article about why the Minnesota Twins hit more home runs last year than anybody in the history of the game. They're using metrics. Their metrics... Pull the ball, hit the ball down the line, or go opposite field down the line because it's shorter and it's easier to hit home runs. And he's got a new book coming out, Swing Kings. Here is Jared Diamond from the Wall Street Journal. Jared, welcome to A's Cast Live. We appreciate the time today. I'm glad to be here. Well, a very interesting article you've put out there and talking about the, you know, dealing with the Golden State Warriors for years and always talking about three-pointers and why do you want to shoot them from the corner? Well, because it's shorter. And now the Minnesota Twins, who let all baseball and home runs, set the record for most home runs of 307. You found their strategy. What is that strategy the Minnesota Twins are using? Well, for most of baseball history, you've always heard, work up the middle, hit the ball up the middle. Uh, the Twins said, no, we're not going to do that. We're aiming for the corners. We're going to try to pull the ball in the air. And the reason for that is pretty simple. The fence is a lot closer down the lines and in straightaway left and right than it is in straightaway center field. And the Twins hit more balls in the air to the pull side than any team in the major league last year. They set a record in home runs. And I think it's worth noting that the team that ranked second in pulled fly balls with another pretty good hitting team, the Astros. So clearly uh, smart teams seem to view this as sort of the wave of the future. And, and as you said, when we were growing up playing baseball, they always told us, hit it back up the middle, hit it back. But you know, you know the problem is with hit it back up the middle? There's now a guy there. <laughs> Lots of guys there, including some pretty fast center fielders. Uh, who have unbelievable range, who will catch pretty much everything. And it's weird that we were all told to work the ball back up the middle because 
uh, arguably the greatest hitter of all time, Ted Williams, uh, was a big proponent of not doing that. He said he tried to pull every single ball he ever hit, pull it in the air. Every single swing, his objective, if he could, was to pull it in the air. And if Ted Williams said that, I think that should be good enough for just about anybody. Yeah, Teddy Ballgame had a pretty good career. Um, when you think about becoming a dead pull hitter, the way the shifts work, especially for left-handed hitters. Now we're seeing, you know, for the first time really last year, we saw way more shifts for right-handed hitters. But it's just that adage of, okay, you try and pull everything, but the problem is everybody on defense, you got to hit it over them, you got to hit them through them, and it's just so hard to do. Yeah, well, that's the tricky part because just because you want to try to pull the ball doesn't mean that you could become a guy who just sells out to try to pull everything. I think we could all think of hitters throughout baseball history in the major leagues today who you sort of view as selling out for power, selling out to pull the ball. Uh, the first goal is to hit the ball in the air, no matter which direction it goes. You want to hit the ball in the air. We know definitively today that hitting the ball in the air is your best way of getting on base. It is always only better to hit the ball on the ground. Then when it comes to pulling the ball, it has a lot to do with pitch selection. Right, hitters going up there looking for pitches they know they could pull, pitches on the inner half of the plate. It also has to do with your swing path. You hear a lot of modern hitters today, including twin hitters, say, "My, what I want to do is try to hit the ball out front, in front of the plate." We used to hear a lot in our in another sort of childhood adage: "Let the ball get deep." You want to hit the ball deep in the strike zone. That's that's really no longer the way it's taught now. Modern hitters are trying to get their ba the barrel of their bat out in front of the plate, hit the ball out in front of the plate, and that also allows them to hit it in the air and hit it to the pull side. Do you think we'll ever get back to guys trying to, you know, instead of just grip it and rip it, home run or strike out, do you think we'll at some point see contact hitting be more in vogue again? I think there's always going to be a place for, you know, the Joey Votto's of the world, guys that – are really able to hit the ball to all the fields and not necessarily sell out for power. But more important, I think what's going to happen eventually is there's going to be a value on just on not striking out. Like there are a lot of, there are great power hitters out there, great hitters that don't strike out a lot. They exist. Uh, they're rare, hard to come by, but they do exist. We see them in the major leagues. Right now it's sort of in vogue to say strikeouts don't matter. They're no different than any other out. I don't think that's going to be a, a line of thinking that necessarily lasts forever. Clearly, the stigma against strikeouts was wrong. Strikeouts were not nearly as bad as they were once believed to be. Uh, maybe we swung too far the other direction, gone from strikeouts are terrible, they're the worst thing in the world, to, oh, strikeouts really don't matter, where the truth is probably somewhere in between those two things on the spectrum, you know, the value of a strikeout has a lot to do with the situation, right? A strikeout with nobody on base, two outs, really makes no difference. A strikeout with a runner on third and one out makes a huge difference. And that just sort of gets back to being a smart hitter and, and changing your approach to the situation. I think there's always going to be a place for that in the game. So there were two big controversies in Major League Baseball, and it seems like the Houston Astros – the, the actual baseball got off the hook when everybody started worrying about the Astros because that's a legitimate question. What ball were we using during the regular season? What ball were we using during the postseason? And what's the ball going to be like in 2020? We've stopped talking about the baseball controversy because we're all just in on the Astros at this point. Yeah, I'm sure the ball controversy will come back in 2020 if they continue to fly the way they did in 2019, for sure, you know, it's, what's tricky about the balls is because you, it's just we don't know, right? In 2017, the ball was exploding off bats. In 2018, it, it did pair back a little bit. There were still a lot of home runs, but uh, it did seem a little bit more normal. And then 2019, we know what 2019 was like. It was completely insane. And we don't know what 2020 is going to be like. You know, there's been two studies released on this in the last, like, 18, 20 months. Uh, there's going to at some point be another report. Those scientists are still working on this issue. There's still a lot that they and we don't know about why 
the ball's behaving the way it is. We know some things. We know that the seam height of seams have something to do with it. We know that batter behavior has played a role. But there's still a lot still to be uncovered. And I, and I know for sure that, that that committee of scientists is still very much on this case. Yeah, it's, it's the whole thing about transparency with the baseball, with the Houston Astros, you've been all over this thing with the Houston Astros. Do you buy what baseball is selling with Houston? And, hey, it's just 2017. Huh. I think that's all they were able to prove. <laughs> and that's really what this comes down to, right? This is an investigation. It's not a court of law, but still, in any investigation, you only could sort of do what you know to be true. And uh, clearly, I believe MLB put out what it knew. Uh, that doesn't necessarily mean it's all that's happened, right? I mean, there's plenty of players out there that continue to insist the Astros were cheating in 2019. Are we ever going to know for sure? I don't know. Maybe not. But I do know that the Washington Nationals in the World Series were putting down multiple signs with nobody on base when they were in Minute Maid Park. So that tells us that the players certainly thought something was going on in 2019. The league couldn't show it definitively, uh, but that doesn't mean it didn't happen. And I think even in Major League Baseball, I think acknowledges that. But just because it couldn't prove something doesn't mean it didn't happen. It just meant they couldn't get anyone to admit it. Do you think with Luno, Hinch, Beltron, Cora all losing their jobs, we don't know what their history will be like from here on out, if they will get jobs again. But do you think with baseball making Houston the sacrificial lamb, a lot of people in the game think there's multiple teams that were doing this. Do you think there's now enough deterrent that everybody's going to stop doing it? I think the rules that are going to be put in place are going to have a big impact, right? We, we have reason to believe that baseball and the players union are going to come up with some new rules that are going to, that's going to severely limit the access to live video during games. And I think that will have an impact. Frankly, that's a change that I 100% support. I just don't quite understand why live video needs to be part of the game. Video is homework. Once the game starts, you're now taking the test. You shouldn't, have, you shouldn't need to go back and look at your at-bats or go study the pitcher you're about to see. No, you do all that before the game. So I'd be totally fine with this getting rid of video during the game. I just don't view it as something that needs to be part of the sport. You don't see other sports typically players getting to go watch video of the opposing team during the game. So I think that will have an impact. Uh, will there still be teams looking to push the boundaries of the rules? Yeah, teams have been trying to, to push the boundaries of the rules since literally the beginning of baseball in every sport, and that's going to continue forever. I think what you hope is that you don't have another situation like the Astros where they didn't just sort of go up to the line and maybe fudge it a little bit. They kind of erased the line, walked 100 yards, and drew a new one. That's what you don't want. <laughs> they were leaping over it. <laughs> exactly. That, that, that's the problem. A team's kind of just sort of finagling with that line. I think we kind of accept that as a, as a fan of the sport. Like, pitchers may have some there under their caps, and we're kind of all okay with it. Everyone's sort of in on it. Uh, but when it becomes what the Astros are doing, where it was just so blatant, and so, like, clearly against the spirit of the rules, uh, that's when it becomes a problem. Yeah, they went so far past the line that when they turned around, they couldn't see the line anymore. And, 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 right, they were, like, in another stadium. And, and, I, and I'm thinking to myself, Jared, they had to have known not everybody's going to stay on this team. They're going to go play for other teams. Like, how did they not think of this? It tells you what they believed the, to be the power of sort of the Omerta code in baseball clubhouses, right? They just didn't think that anyone would rat on them. Uh, you know, and yeah, I'm sure there's some players out there that didn't quite grasp what, how wrong what they were doing was. I'm not trying to defend any players, but I do think there's something to be said to the fact that, well, look, Alex Cora clearly knew about this, and he's a coach. Carlos Beltran clearly knew about this, and he's like the 20-year veteran Hall of Famer. If you're a young player just coming up to the major league, like some of these Astros were, I sort of understand how you could fall into the trap of, well, this doesn't seem right, but if, if these guys say it's okay, well, then I guess it, I guess this is how it goes up here in the major league. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not excusing those guys. I'm just saying I understand how that could happen when you're a young guy surrounded by your leaders and your sort of team veteran telling you one thing, even if it goes against what you previously thought. 
I know it's not out yet, but I'm all about helping people in our game. And you have a new book coming out called Swing Kings, the inside story of baseball's home run revolution. Tell us about your new book. Well, it does talk about, uh, has a lot about a former A in Josh Donaldson, which I guess might be a sore subject for A's fans, considering how great he became when he left Oakland. Uh, But Swing Kings is the story of a group of hitters, great hitters, superstar hitters that we all know, guys like Josh Donaldson, J.D. Martinez, and Justin Turner, Aaron Judge, who were on the fringes of baseball, sort of seemed to be on their way out. Their career was really going anywhere. And they uh, changed that in a very strange way, which was by changing their swing with the help of some pretty fascinating people. These coaches who had no baseball experience themselves, sort of mad scientists on the fringes of the industry who taught them a better way to go about their business. And, you know, to to bring this back full circle, essentially what these guys were all taught was exactly what the Minnesota Twins are doing now. Clearly what was once on the fringes five years ago, six years ago, even three or four years ago, has become the mainstream. And the books of Chronicles, the evolution of that story. Well, I'm looking forward to reading it because, and you also see it on the pitching side, where we have all these different, we have all these different gurus that these players are going to, and sometimes it doesn't make it easy for hitting coaches or pitching coaches once you know your player comes back to spring training and they've switched everything. And but I can't wait to read your book because that is the new thing: these coaches that are outside of the teams that are helping form and change baseball. It's a really fascinating dynamic, and and what it shows, I think, is. Uh, we, as an, as an industry, the baseball industry, has not been very welcome and open to outsiders. It's been this real sort of tradition-based approach to how everything is taught. Hitting and pitching coaches taught their players the way that their hitting and pitching coach taught them, who were taught, who sort of taught exactly what their hitting and pitching coach taught them before. It was this sort of unending cycle without innovation, without change, without growth. It took people on the, on the outside to look at it objectively and say, hey, there's a better way. We're not doing this right. We're not using all the tools available at our disposal. We're not using the data. We're not using the video. We're not approaching this sort of scientifically and objectively enough by just relying on our gut. And it sort of reshaped the way coaching staffs are made up. You know, not to spoil anything, but a lot of the people in my book, these coaches, when I started working on it two years ago, were outsiders. And now many of them are now working for major league teams. That's just happened in the last two years. God, isn't it crazy from front offices to now coaching staffs, people who never played, never played at a high level, have really high-level jobs in our game? It's the next phase of Moneyball, right? Moneyball was largely about outsiders coming into front offices, right? And now those, those outsiders, those people who were once outsiders, they no longer are, they're open to, to other ways, right? Because they were outsiders once. And they say, well – if bringing outsiders into the front office worked, why wouldn't it work in the dugout? It's sort of the next phase, the next evolution of that idea of sort of changing the way baseball is sort of thought of. And now you're seeing uh, these coaches who are not getting the job just because they were former players who spread with the manager, but because they could prove definitively that they're bringing something to the table. And not every coach has worked out. Not all of them have been successful. Not every player who has tried to change his swing has had success, but many have, and uh, and it's going to continue. This is a trend that's sort of becoming the norm in baseball, and I don't think it's going to go away anytime soon. Keep doing a great job at the Wall Street Journal. Uh, when the book comes out, we'd love to have you back on to promote it. And, and I always yeah, let's do it. And I always like watching it on, on the MLB Network. I think you do a great job when you're mm-hmm. on there. Thanks very much. I appreciate it. Well, thank you for listening to A's Unfiltered. We want to thank Lou Trevino, Himbo. Ned Coletti, Jared Diamond. Now back to A's cast, powered by TuneIn. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. 
I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 